0: Welcome to the Bible unthumped. I'm David Kay. I'm not a scholar of the Bible, but I've spent my entire life reading and studying it, and I've found that many people don't really understand the Bible. They're thumping. So on this podcast, we get into the story behind the stories that were collected into books that became the book we know today as the Bible. You can have faith and still ask questions. This is the Bible unthumped. So, today we are going to jump right into the Gospel of Mark. Why start with Mark? Because of the four Gospels, it is the oldest one, even though it shows up second after Matthew in your New Testament. Let's start with a few basics. Mark was written circa 70 AD, about 40 years after the events described. While four decades is plenty of time to play a game of telephone, because Mark is the earliest written, it is therefore perhaps the most reliable of the Jesus biographies. Some context on date. At 70 AD, some of the people who were first-hand familiar with Jesus' ministry would still have been alive, though at least somewhat old. At this time, a Jewish revolt was being crushed by the Romans in Palestine. We will see that this is an important moment of anticipation for Jesus followers. Mark was written in Greek and likely addressed to an audience of Gentiles, non-Jews, outside of Palestine. So, to people who were not firsthand familiar with Jesus. It is a fairly basic book, mostly unelaborated snapshots taken from the ministry of Jesus. This basicness is one of the most notable things about Mark. Mark is the shortest gospel only 16 chapters worth of content. In fact, it has almost no unique content. Nearly everything Mark says is also said by Matthew and or Luke, the other synoptics. The book is anonymous. We call it Mark after its supposed author. Who's Mark? Well, in tradition, he is John Mark a character in the book of Acts who accompanies Paul on his missions until the two of them have a fight and part ways. But as we mentioned in the last episode, the name Mark was not definitely attached to the book until the late 2nd century, and it is not its association with Paul, but with the translator of Peter that gave the book its credibility when the New Testament books were getting their names. in mark's opening line the author interestingly borrows beat by beat from a known ancient inscription about augustus caesar the inscription calls augustus a god and savior whose coming was the beginning of the gospel for the world if you want to look it up the inscription is known as the priene calendar and mark cleverly substitutes jesus in place of caesar the opening line then the beginning of the Gospel, good news, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. For Mark, Jesus, not Augustus, is the Savior, the Anointed One whose coming is good news. From this line, Mark immediately pivots to John the Baptist because John is cast as the Messenger, the good news bringer. Mark's story is about Jesus' ministry and that's it. There is no nativity story in Mark. Mark seemingly has no awareness of or interest in Jesus' life prior to the ministry he starts with the endorsement of John the Baptist. John's message is, Repent, for the Messiah is on his way. And this Messiah, of course, is Jesus, whom John baptizes. The primary objective of the book is to explain that Jesus was the Messiah. And a quick reminder that in jesus time it was common belief among jews that even though they were oppressed by the romans god still favored them and would surely at some point send a savior for them an anointed king to restore their fortunes and their state some even supposed that this restored kingdom would be cosmic in scope ridding the world forever of god's enemies and sin disease and death Listen back to episode 2.5 for more on all of this. What Mark claims, perhaps to the puzzlement of his audience, is that Jesus, even though he died 40 years ago, was that Messiah figure. Mark uses various titles, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David, and King of the Jews, all that would have attached to the coming Messiah in Jewish prophecy. A quick note that the Son of God title does not itself imply divinity just that a person is special. An emperor or a great hero could be very human for example and still be honored as a Son of God. In ancient vocabulary, Son of God is not the same as God. You may even think of yourself today as a child of God. Various characters in Mark's story declare Jesus to be the Messiah. The first is a voice from God himself at Jesus' baptism. This is my son. In fact, especially since there is no nativity story in Mark, some scholars interpret this declaration to be a moment of designation or adoption at the outset of Jesus' messianic ministry. This is when Jesus becomes God's son for Mark. If this seems surprising, remember that the conception of the Trinity describing the relationship of the Father and the Son in the Godhead would evolve over the course of centuries. In what sense was Jesus God's Son, and how and when did he become God's Son, and how do we apportion Jesus' divinity and his humanity? These were not yet answered questions in the late first century. God declares Jesus as his Son again during the later episode of the Transfiguration. There is a famous declaration by the Apostle Peter midway through the book You are the Christ. And at the end of the book, a presumably pagan, Roman military figure who witnesses Jesus' crucifixion says, Surely this man was a son of God. Nearly every time Jesus casts out a demon, more in demons in a moment, the demon identifies Jesus as the coming Messiah. Bottom line, Mark takes plenty of opportunities in the voices of his characters to reinforce his basic point. Jesus was the Messiah. after his baptism a briefly mentioned temptation by satan in the wilderness and the arrest of john the baptist jesus is ready to begin his own ministry jesus ministers first in his home territory of galilee and the very first words of his ministry are repent the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is arriving time's up get your act together here comes the long-awaited kingdom very apocalyptic and a continuation of john the baptist's message jesus ministry in mark is heavy on miracles and light on teaching the miracles demonstrate jesus authority and identity and illustrate the character of god's kingdom mark especially uses exorcisms as a miraculous sign the book obsesses about demons in fact the very first miracle is an exorcism and there are several more to follow His followers and even a non-follower exercise demons. Jesus is himself accused of being demon-possessed. In Jesus' day, it was common to understand mental illness, epilepsy, or various disabilities as the work of evil spirits who would get inside of a person. Such spirits would have no place in the coming kingdom of God. Death and disease would also have no place. Jesus cures blindness, deafness, and paralysis, and even raises the daughter of a synagogue leader from the dead. A couple of his miracles involve non-Jews, which illustrates that the kingdom will extend in some way to people beyond Jewish society, perhaps such as those in Mark's original audience. Jesus calms a storm, walks on water, feeds thousands with a few fish and a bit of bread, and he withers a disagreeable fig tree. His authority is immense in scope. And all of this wonder-working enforces Mark's central theme. This Jesus was the guy, the Messiah. At the outset of his ministry, Jesus specially called four fishermen to be his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, whom he meets by the lake. These are the inner circle of a core group of twelve disciples we know as the apostles. Interestingly, they are portrayed as bumblers who, for the most part, just don't get it and who as followers go are not very good at following. These apostles are joined by crowds who come to hear Jesus speak and to be healed by him wherever he goes. But Jesus has plenty of adversaries too, people who think he is a crackpot and not the Messiah. The Jewish leadership aren't buying it for starters, and they are constantly antagonizing him, trying to discredit him. They view him as a threat and plot to take him out. Being a messiah, by definition, means you are a Jewish king and a challenger to the Roman state. So this was disruptive. The Jewish leaders thought, this guy can't be a messiah, but he is going to get us all in trouble. People in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth don't buy that he is special either. I mean, we know this guy, he's our local carpenter, and I'm pretty sure he's not the messiah. His own family, we are told, his mother and brothers think he has lost his mind and they come to get him. He responds by saying, in paraphrase, Who needs them? My followers are my true family. And this is the only time Mary shows up at all in Mark. She plays no role except to think her son has lost his mind. And we can count the apostles themselves among the skeptics, at least for a time. When Jesus has been arrested and the chips are down, they abandon him. Specifically, Peter denies having any connection to Jesus. Judas, one of the apostles, became disillusioned with Jesus' teaching and, of course, became a key figure in the plot to take him out. Again, mostly miracles, not much teaching in Mark. Jesus does tell a few parables, mostly comparing the kingdom of God to seeds that grow or don't grow, analogous to how his movement will gain followers, while some reject it. It is the confrontations with the Jewish leadership, though, that represent the primary teaching opportunities for Jesus. Each time the Jewish establishment confronts him with a challenge, trying to trip him up, Jesus cleverly bats it down and reveals what he values. He prioritizes tax collectors and sinners, shunned by good society. He doesn't think much of petty legalisms or ritual purity, The condition of the heart is what matters. God's law is more important than human traditions, and the most important commandments of all are to love God and love neighbor. Also, don't divorce your wives, do pay taxes, and yes, there will be a resurrection of the dead, which was a contentious issue among Jewish thinkers of the time. Jesus teaches that the kingdom is a place of surprising reversals the first the important the proud the pious the rich these people will be last in the kingdom if they get to participate in it at all the humble the sacrificial the poor the servants and slaves those like little children these conventionally overlooked folks will be the first in the kingdom of god So now a few somewhat random but important things about Mark. For all of the book's emphasis on identifying Jesus as the Messiah, it is interesting that on many occasions in Mark, Jesus is himself trying to suppress the news of his messianic identity. He is constantly telling those whom he heals, or who otherwise figure out who he is, to keep quiet about it. Jesus' messianic secret yes, I am the Messiah, but don't tell anyone appears only in Mark, nowhere else. And scholars debate how to understand it. Maybe Jesus knows his identity will get him into trouble, so he is trying to limit publicity about his own claims. Some scholars assume Mark is trying to explain why it is not more widely accepted, circa 70 AD, that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus himself kept it on the down-low. We don't know, but it's an interesting aspect of Mark. In Mark, the geography of Jesus' ministry is pretty tightly packed around Galilee in the north of Palestine, though he does venture into non-Jewish territory across the Sea of Galilee and once up to Phoenicia. There is no timeline attached to Jesus' ministry. It could have lasted less than a year even. But it ends when Jesus and his apostles go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover pilgrimage festival, which it seems is the only time Jesus has ever been to Jerusalem. He will be crucified there, of course. Being crucified was one thing that was not supposed to happen to the Messiah, by definition. You can't heroically lead your people to victory against foreign oppressors if they kill you. So Mark tells us on three occasions that, no, this was supposed to happen. Jesus predicted his own death, in fact. He knew he would be killed so folks were probably confused how then can jesus have been the messiah there has been no salvation of the jews no restoration of their state here in 70 a.d in fact the jewish rebels are right this minute being crushed by rome so good question how is this the messiah jesus answers in chapter 13 where he talks about a second coming of jesus that hasn't happened yet as mark understands things Jesus' ministry must have been just the prelude to the part where he comes back to restore the kingdom for real and in a cosmic sense. During the Jewish revolt, when Mark was written, the Romans leveled the temple in Jerusalem and slaughtered many Jews in the course of crushing the rebellion. In this second coming passage in chapter 13, we read how the people are advised to flee the onslaught and to avoid following charlatans who claim to be messiahs. Just hold fast and the Messiah will come back on the clouds with his angels to finish the job of bringing God's kingdom. And note this, Mark says that this generation will certainly not pass away before this second coming of Jesus takes place. Some eyewitnesses to the first coming would still be alive to witness the second one In other words, Mark thought the Messiah's return was absolutely imminent since 40 years had already gone by since the crucifixion. This Jewish war against Rome meant that the final chapter of messianic history was unfolding in real time. After a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is itself another demonstration of Jesus' messiahship or kingship, Jesus is, of course, arrested and crucified. The immediate precipitating event for Mark is Jesus' attack on the commercial interests exploiting the worship at the temple. He chases away the money changers and the buyers and sellers, and this disruption is a sort of last straw for the Jewish leadership. For Mark, Jesus is depicted as deeply distressed during the trial and crucifixion episodes. After trial by the Jewish leaders and the reluctant condemnation by Roman governor Pontius Pilate, Jesus is ordered to be executed under the accusation that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate probably understood relatively little about Messianic Jewish expectations, but rival claimants to the throne were not to be tolerated. Mark specifically tells us that Jesus was crucified on a Friday at 9 a.m. and then died shortly after 3 p.m. While on the cross, the only thing that Jesus says in Mark, talking to God, is why have you forsaken me the apostles have also forsaken him as the jig seems to be up now we have to talk about the final chapter of mark in your bibles it's chapter 16 jesus's body had been put in a tomb and some women followers of jesus including mary magdalene go to the tomb on Sunday morning to put spices on the body. When they get there, the tombstone has curiously been rolled away, and a young man in a white robe was sitting inside the tomb itself. This man tells the women that Jesus has risen and that they should report it to the disciples. But the women are bewildered and they tell no one. And that is where Mark's story abruptly ends in verse 8. In Mark, Jesus himself does not show up in resurrected form. There is seemingly uncertainty about the meaning of the resurrection. No further expectation, no detail provided. No one even knows anything about this message that Jesus has risen except for the women who went to the tomb. But you, listener, may have a Bible that after verse eight adds 12 more verses to chapter 16, in which the disciples are informed about the resurrection in which Jesus does reappear, and in which Jesus is taken up to heaven, and in which his disciples continue his wonder-working ministry. We know these verses don't belong there, however, because they don't show up in the earliest manuscripts of Mark, and because there are other differing endings in other manuscripts. The original Mark ended at verse 8, and your Bible may have some footnotes about this. The later addition was likely some sort of attempt by a scribe to make Mark seem more consistent with the subsequently written gospels, making Jesus' resurrection much more explicit than Mark's author intended. Interestingly, it is from this later addition that we learn about how the disciples' ministry would be characterized by healings and exorcisms, and how they could safely drink poisons and pick up snakes this not original passage is among the primary biblical foundations for the snake handling quote worship sometimes practiced in american appalachia and with that little nugget we'll leave it there for today in this episode we certainly haven't covered everything from mark just scratching the surface really but using mark as the earliest and most basic baseline for jesus biographies We will see how Matthew, Luke, and John tell the story of Jesus a bit differently in the upcoming episodes of the podcast. I hope you will tune in. As always, thanks for sharing the podcast, and reach out to us at thebibleunthumped at gmail.com with any questions. Less thumping, more understanding. See you next time.